Brother Snow, come and share what God has placed in your heart for us today. Lord bless you. You know, I knew this guy when he was, um, before he was born. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, his mother thought she had a virus. <laughs> I have some siblings who still think he, that's the and case. And they still think that you're perhaps the virus? Yeah. I see. Anyway, God bless you. <laughs> well, if, have you ever had one of those weeks where you feel it's busy and... and uh, after some time of reflection, though, and you've sorted out that uh, you, you can get everything done that you, you want to get done, and, and uh, then you're kind of feeling in control again, but then somebody sends you a text, and it's like, oh, can you take care of this? And, and that text is not necessarily, it relates to the, the bigger thing that you need to do, but it's kind of just a, a detail of what you need to do. But the point is, you're like, oh, I completely forgot. And well, that's what happened with this sermon, is I was sitting on a plane, flying out from the States back to, uh, to Calgary, and I just had a busy conference that I hadn't got a chance to prepare for leading up to it, so I spent half of it doing what I needed to do anyway, and uh, then looked at my week, got it all laid out, and then I got a text from Brian, well, make sure you um, contact Steve if you have songs you want for, that go along with your sermon. I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. So, anyway... All good. I did get, get time that I needed, so. But it's just funny how those things happen. Um, today I want to talk about uh, living life on earth as a citizen in heaven. And as you know, uh, Pastor Brian has been taking us through a, uh, a series of uh, sermons on Philippians. And today we're going to talk about uh, Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 11. Uh, but before I do that, I want to ask you a question. If you've ever traveled, have you ever traveled to another culture and realized quite quickly that what you say or maybe what you do in your home culture is not the same as uh, from what others might say or do in the culture that you're visiting? You know, in other words, you might be thinking you're saying one thing, but actually it's communicating something completely different. Maybe it's offensive. Maybe it's just downright funny. I remember um, when I was studying in Manchester, my thesis advisor wanted to have me over for supper, and uh, so he had picked me up in, in the airport, uh, from the airport about midday and said, oh, have you, why don't you come over for tea at 6 p.m.? I thought, wow, that's kind of weird to go to someone's house to have tea at kind of like supper time. So walking to his house, it wasn't far from the campus, I figured, well, I should probably eat supper. So I had like a, a foot-long sub at, safe, at uh, Subway and was totally stuffed after that and then showed up on his door and realized that, no, tea actually means supper. And, and I had to eat a full roast beef dinner, <laughs> including dessert, on top of the foot-long sub. Yeah, it's, it was uh, kind of uncomfortable. Probably the worst moment I had, though, some of you might know Dr. David Rainey. He's on this district now. He was teaching theology at the school I was studying at in Manchester. And I remember uh, biking to his house uh, for another supper, but I knew not to eat uh, before I went this time. But what had happened on that particular uh, instance is it had started raining. And um, so I was soaked, and, and I came through the front door of his house and didn't really notice who was sitting there, but it was a room full of women, as it turned out. And I just blurted out, I said, man, my pants are soaked. 
well, in Britain, pants means underwear, and I just announced to this whole group of people that my undergarments were thoroughly drenched. And when I looked at them, I, I, then I kind of caught that they were just... And I thought, wow, that was awkward. Anyway, well, this all relates, believe it or not, uh, to the message today. And uh, it relates in this way. Ancient Philippi was a, a different city in the, in the Roman world um, than most other cities. And, and it was simply because it was a Roman colony. And uh, Roman colonies were kind of tracts of land, cities that had been there before, that when the Romans developed the empire and so forth, that they had populated uh, basically with retired veterans and expatriates who couldn't go back to Rome because there's just no room for them. And so they gave them tracts of land and so forth to live and, 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 uh, and just a place to be. Well, part of the Roman colony was that these are Romans, and so they tried to recreate what life would be like in Rome, but in a part, but outside of actually the city of Rome. So, Roman customs, an emphasis on speaking Latin, which would be associated with Rome. Of course, we all know it's Greek, right? Outside of Rome, and um, so. If you were a person visiting who was non-Roman, visiting uh, the city of Philippi, you would know right away that this is a city like no other because of this emphasis on all things Roman. And there's a Greek word actually to describe this. You're getting your money's worth today. You're going to learn. That was a joke. But anyway, um, it's a tough crowd, Alyssa. Uh, anyway, um, this Greek word polytuma is one that shows up in a couple of different times in uh, Philippians. We'll look at it in a moment. But it actually denotes a colony of foreigners or relocated citizens to another land. Pastor Blaine, you could relate to this, having been from the Maritimes and moving to places like Ontario and Alberta. And we speak with a funny accent because I'm a Maritimer as well. And uh, they don't always get us. And encourage us in the way they should, but anyway, that's kind of what it's like, right? Us Maritimers coming out west, we're, well, a colony of foreigners who relocate to another land, and we speak in a different way. So, you know, this business isn't anything new of people who are known for coming from one area and relocating to another, but it's important for um, what we see going on in Philippians because it kind of is at the foundation of a lot of what Paul is trying to communicate, and you've you got to know this background to, to kind of get the full understanding of uh, what Paul is wanting um, us to take away. And so for the Polytuma, for uh, those Roman citizens living in Philippi, there's a strong emphasis then on the emperor, and as I said, all things Roman. So, for instance, uh, things like venerating or maybe even worshiping the emperor for the peace and security that the emperor brings with such a, a large military. Like, in the, in the ancient world, it's, it's hard for us to conceptualize. We live in the Western world where life is, by and large, quite comfortable from how most people live in the world today. But in, in the Roman world, there was a lot of uncertainties. And, uh, you know, the Parthians to the far east who could swoop down and... and uh, 
you know, attack the eastern parts of the empire to the barbarians in the north. Like you, you just never. But if you're in the Roman Empire, you're safe because you're protected from all of these things. And and the one person who brings peace and security is the emperor. He's the person that symbolizes everything that's great about being Roman. So in the eastern parts of the empire, people began to worship the emperor and to to venerate him and to confess him actually as Soter Curios, as Savior and Lord for everything that he has brought. And the emperor brings the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, when everyone's saying, peace, peace, be aware. It's, it's, it's a reference to the peace and, and, and the security that that empire brings. And it's kind of a warning not to get caught up in these things. So in light of all of that, what's happening in the Roman world and Philippi and everything that people value, the polytuma, what they value, Paul says that, well, you Philippians are citizens as well. You too are a polytuma, but actually from another world, another land, if you will, and that is of heaven. He says it in 320, but... Our citizenship, our polytuma, is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a savior, a soter, the Lord Jesus Christ. That language, savior, lord, it's, it's all in different pieces of Greco-Roman literature describing what the emperor is. But actually, we as citizens of heaven worship another king, another emperor, if you will, and his name is Jesus Messiah. And in our passage today, in Philippians 2, 1 to 11, Paul presents a picture of the true emperor, if you will. The true Lord, and his name is King Jesus. By the way, Jesus Christ. Christ isn't the surname of Jesus. He wasn't the offspring of Mr. and Mrs. Christ. I'm sure you all know this. But, but in later Christianity, Jesus Christ, that Christ becomes a proper noun, like a, a, a name, right? But it's actually a title. Christ is a title that means anointed, means Messiah. So you think Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, or maybe King Jesus, that's important. It's denoting a title. He's one who has a particular role, which is in contrast with the emperor who sees himself as king of the universe, as it will. And in the passage that we see in uh, Philippians 2, we, we get a picture, a, kind of a job resume, if you will, of, of King Jesus. And it's, and it's very different from how the emperor or those in positions of power and might in the ancient, ancient world would have behaved. He says this about Jesus, unlike the emperor, who, though he was in the form of God, which... Um, those emperors view themselves as in some way related to uh, the de a deity or of the gods or a god themselves, depends on who you ask, did not regard equality with God as emperors would like, but as something to be exploited. I think the better translation, I put it in square brackets there, is seized. Like it's the idea of grasping at something, to hold it for yourself, for your own ends. And that's, of course, what emperors do. If you have that, if you're viewed as divine by everyone else, that's, that's, a, that's an ideology, a, a thought that people are thinking of you that you want to grab and to keep for yourself. It's a way of, of maintaining power and authority over your subjects. It's kind of a way of giving you a lot of self-esteem all of a sudden. But Jesus, no, does not consider that as something to be grasped, to be exploited. 
Rather, he empties himself, taking the form of a slave. Like, you have got to hear me on this. Slavery in the ancient world, you can't get any lower in the socioeconomic status. Slaves were bought and sold. Slaves were uh, mistreated, uh, sexually abused, all uh, just, it, it's horrendous uh, for, for many slaves. Now, depending on if you're in a good household and you're a slave, you might have been tre- better. But by and large, like, to, to look at this person who had the option to have equality with God, but chose to surrender that to become a slave, if you were of a Roman looking at you're like, what is this person thinking? Anyway, we'll carry on. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, Romans crucifying people, the worst form of punishment that you could imagine. It's only reserved for insurrectionists, for terrorists, for people who are a threat to the well-being of Rome and try to uh, overturn Rome and Roman rule through violence. That's the kind of death that Jesus went and died. And you're like, again, why would he follow through to be viewed by, as someone who is that and to die in that way? Well, This is, of course, the gospel message, isn't it? That Jesus, who did not put his own will ahead of the will of, did not put his own will ahead of his Father's will, came and died on a cross so that he could bring salvation. So that actually the thing that every Greco-Roman wanted, peace and security, but on an eternal level, could actually only be found in Jesus Christ. And then the next part of that in verses 9 to 11, it's the good news side. Well, of course, this is part of the good news, but the stuff that actually confirms that this is all reality is in the exaltation. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar, to the glory of God the Father. And of course, Paul here is speaking about the future, isn't he? The parousia, the return of Christ Jesus, when everyone will acknowledge, whether they acknowledge it now or not, a time is coming when all will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. At public gatherings, when, when uh, Romans would come together and others who live in Rome, you would take time to acknowledge the lordship of Caesar in a public gathering. It's kind of like when we sing the national anthem um, you know, at a sporting event or the beginning of at some public um, gathering. It's the same idea, but here they don't sing uh, you know, an, an anthem to the nation, but rather some form of liturgy to the emperor for the good things that the emperor has brought, and maybe even bending the knee was part of that, but Paul is saying no, for the true king, when he is finally revealed, everyone will bend the knee and confess indeed that Jesus Christ is Lord. But there's a problem with this, because this is a form of treason, to claim that this king who died the worst form of death that one could imagine, reserved for the worst of criminals, and worse yet, these early Christians are claiming that he rose from the dead, and worse yet, he's, you can't even find him anywhere. How could you make such claims about that unseen king when there's a seen king who's given us stuff that we can really realize and experience now in the present? And so no wonder Christians, when they converted to Christianity from paganism, were so marginalized and oppressed and um, uh, 
shunned from their families and communities and life was difficult for them because of this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. But Paul is right. I mean, the, the peace and the security that Caesar brings is, is temporal. It's temporary. The last time I checked, Rome has fallen. It's not there anymore. And there were actually many battles fought over those lands that were once Roman territory. So that peace did not last. It disappeared. Caesar is just a mere, a mere parody. I don't know if you know the music by Weird Al. But he has a song, Just Eat It, as opposed to Just Beat It by Michael Jackson and a variety of other newer ones that I don't know. You can check with Nathan later. Um, but, but these are parodies. They're mockeries, right, of, of a, a truer reality. And, and that's what Caesar is. He's a, he's a parody. He's not the real thing. He's a, a wannabe, that, that the one who can really deliver on what Caesar is promising is, is Jesus Christ, is King Jesus, whose kingdom of peace, security, and salvation lasts forever. And so Paul reminds these Christians that he's preaching to, whether they're Romans, Greeks, or bar barbarians, that they've surrendered their earthly passports, their passports of, of a Roman nature, um, for a heavenly passport, for an eternal passport. And in a context where people, although they don't know it, are looking for heavenly realities, really, peace, security, and so forth, from earthly leaders, Paul calls them in 127 to live out the values and the ideals of that eternal kingdom now in the present. And he says this in 127, only live polytuo, so polytuma, noun, polytuo, verb, but you can see the poly business happening there. It's the same idea, embody the values in the kingdom, not of Rome, but rather of heaven. And do this in a way that is in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, of course, what's our model for that? Jesus, right? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, who did not consider equality with God as something to, to be grasped, who did not give in to Satan when he's tempting him to, oh, if you will only bow down and worship me, I will give you all of the kingdoms and their authority and their power. No, he, he said it was far from that. He laid down his life so that all could be saved in, in surrendering that power and authority. And as citizens of heaven, we too are to live like Christ, to live lives worthy of the gospel, and, and actually, in living a transformed life, we begin to reveal the genuine source of, of peace, of unity, of security and salvation. And, and when you look at that, I don't know if you could go back, Jeannie, just to verses uh, 9 to 11 there, the, the business about Jesus at, at, when everyone is confessing him as Savior and Lord. I mean, one way to look at that might be, well, when the authority and sovereignty of Christ is revealed, and all of those who have engaged in their idolatry and, and have refused to recognize Christ, but have persecuted God's people in the present, we could look at that and say, hey, nana nana boo boo, we win, you lose. But believe it or not, that is not what Paul wants uh, us to take away from that. But rather, that future reality of Christ's lordship as citizens of heaven that we are now, although we're not yet in heaven, 
We are to live our lives in a way that point to those eternal realities now so that the people that we interact with will see in our lives that there's something more eternal, there's something more secure, and it's not from the kingdoms of this world, but it's rather from the kingdom of God, the unseen realm. And, and we are citizens of that now, card-carrying members of this unseen kingdom that Paul calls his people to live lives worthy of now in the present. And so, in 1, verse 1, chapter 2, Paul begins this whole thing with something that seems kind of disconnected from all of this business that I've been talking about, and here I'm going to try to pull it all together, and it looks like you're all still paying attention, so that's good, although I can't see you, but... In uh, verse 1 of Philippians 2, Paul says this, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy... Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind. Being of one accord and, and so on. Basically, he's calling them living lives worthy of the gospel is just to embody any amount of encouragement, any consolation, coming alongside, right? Supporting those who are hurting. Any sharing in the Spirit. Any fellowship in the Spirit. Any compassion. These things, says Paul, who has proclaimed the gospel, who has embodied a life worthy of the gospel, these things, he says, will make my joy complete. These things are what it means to be polytuma, to be being what it means to be card-carrying citizens of this unseen heavenly realm of which we are a part as God's people. These things can make a difference in people's lives. The thing that I want you to ask yourself now, and you can just something to reflect upon, what if that person or individual didn't show you that encouragement, didn't show you that consolation or that fellowship? How would your life be different? What would be lacking? I think for some of us it would be quite significant, right? Maybe completely destructive for our own personal well-being if that person hadn't intervened and showed us that level of compassion and care. And what's interesting about this passage is that Paul isn't saying we need to get it right. It needs to be complete encouragement. It needs to be complete consolation. He's just looking for any. He's just looking for something. Because this is not just a picture of moral self-help, of pulling ourselves up by our own sort of bootstraps when it comes to speaking into the lives of others. No, the Holy Spirit works alongside of us, prompting us, encouraging us to, to step out, to get in the involved in the lives of someone else, maybe through encouraging, maybe through an outward act of, of care for someone else. And so to think about the ways in which others have, have helped us, of course, most fully realized in Jesus Christ, we are then positioned to go and do that for others as well. It's interesting, when you think about this time of year of, of Christmas, many of you are like, he's on to the application, finally, out of that historical background stuff. Well, I get quite excited about the historical stuff. 
My wife isn't here to critique me that I spent too long on that, but anyway. Although many in the Western world are open to spiritual things and believe that there's something beyond themselves, we know as God's people that to find the eternal and the genuine peace and salvation that they so desire can't be found outside of Jesus Christ. But yet, in secular um, contexts, like there's some radio stations playing Christmas songs, and there's a limited repertoire of this, so sometimes it's repeatedly the same ones, uh, even maybe within the same hour. There's a few that I wanted to draw attention to. One of these is, I wish it could be Christmas every day. And just the chorus of it reads, oh well, I wish it could be Christmas every day. I won't sing it because I'm tone deaf. When the kids start singing and the band begins to play, oh, I wish it could be Christmas every day. Let the bells ring out for Christmas. Well, it's kind of a desire for joy, isn't it? Hearing kids playing, not fighting, bells ringing. Yeah, it's kind of like happy times. Or how about this line for a, Chris, for a New York Christmas? which reveals a desire for peace. Yeah, I mean, it always sounds better when you're singing it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sending you a merry, a merry New York Christmas and a prayer for peace on earth within our time. And hear this line, and the sidewalk angels echo hallelujah. I didn't know there were sidewalk angels. We understand them now more than ever. Merry New York Christmas. Like, there's, it's not just the desire for these virtues and these experiences, but they're linking it to the spiritual realm. Like, it's almost like there's an innate sense that we have within us that there's something more than just our own selves and what we can produce and what we can do and what we can generate, that, that maybe there is a God from another kingdom who wants to be involved in the lives of, of us on a daily basis, but we, as those outside of Christ, only get a glimpse of, can only experience to some degree, but not on an internal level. So, yes, the citizens of this world desire peace, desire joy, compassion, encouragement, just as many of us have experienced here from God's people, and maybe in certainly on an eternal level. But just imagine, what would it imagine with me for a moment, and I'm not good at imagining things and kind of being creative, but here's a stab at it. Just imagine if this church as a colony of heaven grew into what it means to be intentional about modeling and living out kingdom values of peace, joy, and compassion every day. I think that that would set us apart as a true polytuma uh, or as a colony of foreigners, like to live, as Paul says, to have the same mind, to put our desires second to the needs of others. Well, that would really stand out in this world in a lot of ways, wouldn't it? Especially when you don't feel like it. I mean, I don't tell her this, but my wife got kind of got the stomach flu last night and it was in the middle of the night, and I didn't feel like helping her. Well, we sorted it out, and I apologized. Um, but, you know, in that moment, at whatever it was, I was dead asleep, and she's like, Rob. Um, I, I just didn't feel like helping her. But, 
But this is, believe it or not, where the gospel works. Because as I chose not to help her, I had an overwhelming sense of conviction. Didn't think about the consequences that might follow later, but the Lord was convicting me in the moment. But this is the level in which the Lord wants to work. In all areas of our lives, to bring encouragement, help, show compassion, which I didn't do, in, our, our, in every aspect of our lives. So what would it mean for us as a church? You know, this is the Advent Sunday of hope. What would it mean for us to show hope as a citizen of heaven this week? Hope to the hopeless, encouragement to the downtrodden, compassion to the broken. And, and I'm not necessarily talking about the people that are looking for money at the drive through at Tim Hortons. To really to think about who are there people within your own sphere or circle of influence. To pray and, and to ask the Holy Spirit, who is it that maybe hasn't had a phone call in a while? Or, or, or you just, you know, the Lord might place someone on your heart or maybe you'll just know, I've been meaning to reach out to this person but, but haven't done it because life is busy, but this would be the time to do it. You know, will our acts of encouragement stand out because it's so out of place? Remember the polytuma business. It's a plunk, people getting plunked down or different, speak different, act different. No one, no one gets them. Would, would our acts of kindness and compassion stand out so uniquely that it would be like you're announcing to a group of people that your underwear is soaked? Right? Will it look like a collision of cultures? A citizen of heaven being noticed by the citizens of this world. Would it be that dramatic? Or maybe, I was in, in the States this past week and I just felt uh, the Lord say to me, leave $5 for the person who makes up your room and just write a note. Something like, thanks for all your good work, God bless you. And I did it and, and left it and the five bucks was gone along with the note and there you go. But you, you just never know how the Lord is using kind of the promptings that we get or the desires that we have to reach out to someone. So ask the Holy Spirit, what does he have for you this week so that you can manifest his kingdom rule, his love and his goodness in whatever context you find yourself? And, and, and this this is what it really means to live lives worthy of the gospel because it's really in line with the nature of God, isn't it? Who, who never, God never stays within himself. He's always outwardly focused, always going beyond himself and reaching down as he has done through his son Jesus Christ to bring healing and hope to us. And maybe finally, you need a word of encouragement. You need personally um, uh, a word of consolation or, or an act of compassion in your own life. I would encourage you to, to reach out to, to someone that you know and to, to ask for help because that's important to do as well. You know, when we're raising my children, which I'm almost done with him over here, um, but apparently they come back, I'm told. Um, anyway, <laughs> assuming he doesn't come back, we're finished in six months. Um, <laughs> but, 
when, when he's had problems, uh, you know, with maybe at school or things like that, um, we've always encouraged our kids to advocate for yourself, to speak up, to, to talk to the teacher, to talk to that friend. And, and I, I would encourage you to do that as well. If you feel you need a word of encouragement or, or help in some area of your life, reach out and, and speak to someone. That's, that's how we as the body of Christ function because as you will find that as you receive the help that you need in certain areas of your life, you're, you're enabled more to help others. But if you're like at the end of your rope and you can't keep your own life together, it's, and then you're like, oh gosh, you're telling me I need to go and do something for someone else. Well, that's the, the nature of the body of Christ, isn't it, right? We, we give, but also we do receive. And, and this is what it means to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, to be citizens of heaven where Jesus Christ reigns, although we cannot see him, we can experience him, and he wants to minister to us so that we can minister to others. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you for your presence uh, in our lives. And God, we don't always get it right. Sometimes we haven't shown any encouragement. We haven't shown any consolation. We haven't shown any sympathy. We haven't demonstrated any hope. But Lord, there are other times where we have gotten it right and we give you praise and, and thanks for that, for you prompting us, for you enabling us. And so God, as your people, we come before you. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear where you would use us to be involved in the lives of others this week in tangible, practical ways that we could model to this world that there is another world. It's the kingdom of God, and that kingdom is all about goodness. That kingdom is all about love. That kingdom is all about compassion because we serve a king whose heart is all about these things. And if there's some here today, Lord, who, who need a word from you, who need some level of encouragement, hope, need help with a practical thing, I just pray, Lord, that you would give them the courage to speak up, to ask, knowing that we're in a body of believers who love one another, who desire the very best for one another as you desire the very best for us. And so we offer ourselves into, into your hands this day and we give you praise in advance for everything that you desire to do and that you will do. In Jesus' name, 